Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hey, we got a new super cool party people only party giveaway people. <laughs> for it's you. It's only for party people. <laughs> if you are not a party person, you just don't listen. Get out. <laughs> yeah. A fun March giveaway for y'all because we just like to give stuff away. It's yeah. just like a fun little way to spice things up. It is. And March is just like a cool month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like Ides of March and uh, St. I don't know. Patrick's Day. I don't know why my brain went there. <laughs> I don't either. That was unique. <laughs> yeah. St. Patrick's Day is probably a more festive. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for our March giveaway, we've got some cool stuff. We have a Art History Babes t-shirt in black. We classic. Ha- classic classic black classic black uh we have a really cool book about some it it's uh drawings by some venetian masters Tiepolo. yeah jenny on the italian over there mm-hmm. and then we've also got a rauschenberg inspired mug some white sage for mm. For witchy vibes, also just general good smells. Yeah. White sage, cone incense, not actual white sage. Yes, yeah, incense, incense vibes. And we got a Norman Rockwell puzzle. So really a, a wide array of, <laughs> of art-related goods. Feast. Yeah, definitely. For you. Definitely. It's a fun giveaway, I think. And to be entered to win, all you have to do is head over to our Patreon patreon.com slash art history babes and become a patron and help support the production of this podcast and other art history babes content every dollar that you pledge to the art history babes is an entry so one dollar a month that's one entry five dollars a month that's five entries and if you're wondering yourself hey i'm already a patron I'm screwed. I can't be a part of this super cool party people You're giveaway. Not You're not. All you got to do is up your pledge. If you up your pledge by a couple dollars, then you get a couple entries. So everyone has a chance to enter yes. however many times you would like. This is for the duration of March. So from March 1st to March 31st. Mm. <laughs> that feels right. Yeah, there's 30, 31 days of March. Um, sure. If you get on our Patreon from the 1st through the 31st, your entries will be counted. And Mm -hmm. then at the beginning of April, we will pull a name out of a hat. It's going to be a good time. It is. From
Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Natalie. I'm Ginny. And I'm Jen. And we are the Art History Babes. And we're all back together. We're all together. This oh. is crazy. It's been a while. It has been it's a while. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> I can't escape. I can't escape that song. I don't know why. Like We were just having a conversation about how that song just keeps coming up. Just permeates in my consciousness. Oh, stained. Stained, <laughs> stained will never die. Oh, my God. Ah. What a disturbing sentence. <laughs> oh, man. We're having the nicest time right now. Our, we're having our a little winter extravaganza. It's our little... Um, <laughs> it's our holiday party. This is like our holiday it's party snowing today. outside. Yeah, it's uh, a nice 70 <laughs> degrees in Sacramento, <laughs> California. Um, yeah, I was like sweating when we were outside. Me too. I'm, I'm a little bit Especially, sweaty I right mean, now. We, were climbing, we climbed a log. Yeah. We climbed a rock. We got on a tree. We climbed a tree. Yeah. We climbed hard. a hill. Extreme. We that was extreme. <laughs> um, <laughs> extreme sports with the art history days. Hardcore <laughs> <Yeah>, parkour. <laughs> parkour. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we're just posted up at Natalie's beautiful home and we're by the fire and there's a Christmas tree and there's a bag full of Meyer lemons for all of us to take home. Yes. And I'm very excited <laughs> about that. I'm putting lemons in everything. Oh, everything. Yeah. Lemons. There's a lemons, supply. Drinks. Lemon chicken. Lemon. 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 Pasta. I actually have a really <laughs> good chicken recipe that involves lemon that I can send Ooh, to you guys. Yeah. Full chicken. Guys, I made a full chicken twice. Word. And I ate Bravo. some of it. Wow. Very nice. That's not for the faint of heart. I've done that yeah, before. I almost gnarly. burned my house yeah. down. It was an extreme. Ooh. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so Did you have to pull out its innards? Um, One of them, it came with a liver. Oh. Um, the yeah. other ah. one came with nothing. Mm. Cool. Liver was a little gross. Caught yeah. me off guard. Yeah, yeah. liver is um, not delicious. That one also had a neck still, which grossed mm-hmm. me out mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Oh. So if you like moved it right, its little neck would go up and down. Oh. Yeah, not pleasant at all. No, thank you. Wow. Yeah, my mom likes to buy the chickens with all the guts in them, and she makes like a souffle for the dogs, and they lose <laughs> their <laughs> minds. <laughs> she, you know, because. No, dogs love that shit. it's true you know my mom yeah. is from mexico and in mexico you it's rare that you feed your dog dog food dogs just get whatever shit you don't eat and um Makes sense. They're, they live forever yeah like they're yeah. healthy down there yeah. don't feed your dogs dog food you guys it's not good for them they're eating real food they're eating feed wheat some chicken liver dogs shouldn't be eating wheat that's crazy like that's come on. true it's insane <laughs> anyway corn. so much corn and dog food yeah true. Oh. so much corn and human food corn is everywhere that's man true. i mean I made if it was if it was um, <laughs> yeah, I we might are be too. all we are all fairly made Matthew of corn. Matthew and I eat a lot of popcorn, guys. <laughs> like, if it was lot. um made yeah. of like maize, like our um, <laughs> a maize, <laughs> that is supposed to be pretty good for you. Like original corn is supposed to be pretty good for you. Yeah, this is like the this is the GMO. Yeah, GMO yeah. stuff. Garbage corn. <laughs> Garbage. I do miss corn on the cob though. Corn on the cob is like such an like midwest iowa thing mm. obviously because we're just surrounded by corn all yeah, the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. um so like corn on the cob is like a big deal um, i could i could go for some cob some cob yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, have you um <laughs> seen that episode of rick and morty where they land on the cob planet no <laughs> <laughs> what 
they go to a planet where everything is on a cob and they like <laughs> <laughs> I do not recall this episode. It's I thought so I've seen funny. every episode. And then they like lose their minds like when they realize that it's like this really bad thing. They're like, Everything's on a cob. Go, go, go. <laughs> they like have to get out of there. It's That's ridiculous. Pretty good. It's yeah. pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> oh, you know what else is pretty good? We're um <laughs> drinking this really delicious like holiday Jack Daniels, which I never thought I would say delicious and Jack Daniels in the same sentence (laughs) um so that's cool we're getting um a little bit saucy because we're getting ready to talk about a pretty uh exciting episode an episode we've been wanting to do for a long time like we've mentioned it god since we started the podcast we've been like we want to do this episode i think it was like one of our first ideas it was i know i was like how did it take so long to get here but we were just know. reserving our strength. And yeah, I think it was one of them that we knew it was going to be like so good that we didn't want to rush it. Like we yeah. wanted it to be at the right time yeah. when we could be in it. And yeah. and here we are by the fire mm-hmm. and, right. mm-hmm. and we're having this lovely gathering. And I think mm. I think it's time to lay in. Paul Gauguin. Yeah, so. it's time. We're, we're we're maturing as uh, recording artists, <laughs> <laughs> and we're ready to ready to take this on. Yeah, especially you know, given all of these like sexual assault and harassment. Oh things yeah, that have really been surfacing in the news as far as victims it's very coming timely. forward. It's time. It is definitely uh, time. Yeah, I'm looking reveal. <laughs> I think that Paul we Gauguin <laughs> was a pervy pedophile. <laughs> oh, that he Lord. Was. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think we posted something on our Facebook a while back about, you know, what do we do with the art of reprehensible men? Yeah. And it was um, an article that focused a lot on um, Woody Allen, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is one that I do struggle mm-hmm. with yeah. because like. I that's why I really liked that article because I like Woody Allen movies yeah and I can't like Woody Allen movies <laughs> like he's a piece of garbage that's like, how I feel when I listen to R. Kelly I'm like oh I love the song oh no 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 no, 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 no. it's we like you got, dang it no more R. Kelly Sorry. I can't I don't listen to him anymore I know yeah. I I mean I spent my teen oh. years singing remix to ignition too Dude, feeling on yo booty was my party <laughs> song I know you know, I know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, I've heard you sing it you know, can't enjoy classic episodes of the Today Show. Oh, <laughs> so pissed about that. Oh, uh, Matt, Matt. Uh, he was like kind of gross. one of America's like sweethearts, kind of yeah. like like yeah, he was I, well mm. he was well loved. He was you know s- you yeah. kind of knew he was an asshole, but you didn't think he was a pervert. Yeah, because he yeah. would make those little comments that like, did you guys see the the video of him? Um, interviewing Anne Hathaway resurfaced no when Liz came out that's like all over since this has happened and it's basically like a paparazzi uh, guy took a picture of her getting out of a car like basically up her dress like Ooh. just an up shot no and it like instead of deleting it he sold it and of course he just did. scummy and she comes on the Today Show. The first thing that Matt Lauer says to her is like, "We've been seeing a lot of you lately, oh like something Lord. like that." And he was like, "What did you like? What did you learn from that situation, or something like what? trying to oh like, my god, yeah?" And you can tell she's just like trying to stay composed, but like you fucking did. I haven't That's, seen the picture. Is it? Is I she, haven't either. I don't even remember. Is it she happening. exposed? It, I, it doesn't matter. Yeah, what the it was just like. the attitude. I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah but yeah, no. that's a that's a very that's gross. And at the time, yeah, you could be like, oh, he was just kind of being an asshole or just like no, sounded like yeah. a jerk. And now you're like, oh no, he just 
thinks women are sexual objects. Right. Yeah. Well, regardless, what's kind of fun about all this? <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. What's fun about all this is we are going back and we are looking at all of these things, even from the past 10 years that we just brushed off because it's yeah. mm-hmm. what it's like to be a woman. Right. And finally, because everyone's standing up, we're like, no, like this no. isn't OK. This and will not stand. Exactly. This aggression yeah. will not stand. And and we're ready yeah, to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, it's that it. whole stupid thing like, boys will be boys. No. Nope. No, they won't. No. Nope. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just no. Yeah, boys. Boys will be decent human beings. Yeah, Let's boys, go with that boys for a while. Will, will be, try will that be one humans. Out. Like, they will be held to the same standards as everybody else. Mm-hmm. Actually, the most recent episode of SNL, they did this funny thing with all the females, like all the yes. all the girls the on the like show. Song. Yeah, yes. they did the song, and it's like them as like they're all dolled up like this like pop group, yeah. like girl pop group. Yeah, and but it's um, talking about basically how how because now men feel like everything's falling apart for them and it's basically how like this has always been what it's been like to be a woman and the like tagline is welcome to hell <laughs> and it's like in this like poppy happy <laughs> voice it's like really it's, it's good it's really good because it just points out like all those things about being a woman in like a predatory society that we think about every day, every yeah. minute of mm-hmm. the day that men, it never crosses their mind. It, yeah. It's like, yeah, uh. that is real. And I think that that is something that women have been told for their whole lives that you can just expect, mm-hmm. just expect to be sexually harassed and scared around groups of men. And um, that's bullshit. And so I oh, think put a stop to it. It's our responsibility now as art historians to tackle this problem of what do we do with the art of horrible men mm-hmm. and so we're gonna start today with a, with, with a big one. <laughs> oh lord uh we're gonna start with paul Gauguin, and god damn it i hate him i hate him so much god <laughs> so oh, so jenny you wanna you wanna take it away yeah, let's talk about the origins of this piece of shit a little bit. <laughs> so In the beginning. <laughs> Gauguin was born in 1848. His grandmother was actually Peruvian, and he later oh. touted that part of his ancestry as a way to make himself appear to be an exotic artistic figure. Mm. Um, he did live part of his young life on his uncle's like grand estate in Lima. Um, but his family moved back to France later. And, um, you know, he had a f- relatively privileged upbringing. He was exposed to art at a fairly young age and, you know, was taking painting lessons and meeting artists, but did become a stockbroker. And so he married a Danish woman and she bore him five children. He met the artist um, Pissarro in 1874 and was really like artistically smitten with him and learned a lot from him. And he later like pays homage to Pissarro and his work. So out of the Impressionist painters, Gauguin really dug Paul Cezanne and bought several of his paintings. He was actually one of like the first major like collectors of Cezanne. So he becomes like part of this kind of like French impressionist circle. He's not initially super active with them. Like he learns from them. They seem to enjoy his company, I guess. He's um, buying their art. He's buying so. their shit. You know, he's probably stroking their egos like, oh, like, wow, you're so smart. <laughs> um, but he's still going to the bank and working mm-hmm. there. 
He did exhibit a landscape at the salon in 1876, and he participated in group exhibitions. Up until, like, 1878, his color palette was really a lot more subdued than what you normally would associate with a lot of Gauguin paintings, where they're very brightly colored, and there's, like, these big swatches of bright colors, whereas originally they were kind of more, like, grayscale and earth tone. He was, you know, doing pretty good. So he's getting more involved with the Impressionists. He's showing a bit of his stuff. He's hanging out with artists. But then the stock market crashed and he lost his job. And um, he moved to Copenhagen with his wife to live with his in-laws. But the Danes really weren't into Impressionism at this time. They just were like, "Mm, no, maybe in France, but not here. Mm -hmm. And so he ditched his wife, (laughs) just left her high and dry, and came back to Paris in 1885. Uh, Then he moved to Brittany for a while for a less stressful life. Um, He was pretty productive there and fine-tuned his uh, skills and developed more complex compositions. And he was practicing plein air painting. So going outside, painting out in in the nature and all of that. He went to Martinique and got a taste for the tropics, uh, which, you know, is a theme that we'll see later (laughs) with him. And then he uh, kind of had this break with Impressionism when he painted Vision After the Sermon. And he was really influenced by another artist named Emile Bernard. And Bernard painted Breton women in the meadow. And essentially, like, this technique involved, like, covering the picture plane with, like, huge swatches of, like, bright color and then building from that. So, like, you would outline and then add color so it kind of makes this almost like patchwork really bright composition and Pissarro was pissed when um, (laughs) Gauguin did this painting and wrote in a letter I criticize him for not applying his synthesis to our modern philosophy which is absolutely social (laughs) anti-authoritarian and anti-mystical because this painting was somewhat mystical so he's kind of out in the shits from his old impressionist buddies. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know he's going along and he's still painting. He, I, I doubt he was very concerned by this because he's a narcissist. Um, <laughs> and like so many male artists, he got really into painting naked women. And I mean, pr- obviously. <laughs> Word. And in particular, young naked women. There's a painting called Loss of Virginity, oh, which um, depicts wow. a barely pubescent young girl yeah. Um, lying naked on the ground, and she clutches a fox, which Gauguin claimed was an Indian symbol for perversity. And so it's interesting because from here, there's really more of a development into this emphasis on the primitive and mystical um, kind of symbolism, and obviously um, depicting young naked women. And so that's just a kind of brief overview of Gauguin. You can see some of his asshole tendencies, but I promise there's more. So we'll get into those. <laughs> it gets dark, you guys. It gets real it gets dark. real dark. <laughs> yeah. I'd, is it like a commonly known thing that Van Gogh and Gauguin were friends? I think like, that I know it is. it is in our art history community. Yeah, is I, th- it? I, think, I think so. But I maybe. don't feel like his name gets dragged into the incident as much as it should. <laughs> I totally agree. I, yeah. think, I mean, I think it's known for people who are like big Van Gogh fans or like 
if you've studied art history, it's a little more known, but I, I agree. It's not something you hear yeah. about a lot. Yeah, it's they were very, very close for a period of time. There's even speculation among like certain art historians that there was like a homosexual relationship oh. there. Um, mostly Van Gogh was like very enamored with mm-hmm, Gauguin. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we went to the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam, remember they had a bunch of his letters? Mm-hmm. I felt like, okay, first of all, Van Gogh wrote the most emotionally touching letters to his friends. Like, he, he just loved his friends. Yeah. And his letters to Gauguin were so just intimate, and he just loved his friends so much that you're like, why? Why do you like this douche? No, <laughs> yeah. it's like It's like that case of just like the sweetest people getting taken advantage Ugh. of by like yeah. by toxic people you know yeah let's get into that <laughs> i got some got some dirt about this so most of this takes place around like arles france and then yeah uh, we'll talk about arles let's talk about arles mm-hmm. <laughs> so in starting in 1988 van gogh moved to Arles and had this dream of starting an artist colony and he really wanted Gauguin to join in and be a part of it because he's his buddy and he loves him. So he wrote him lots of letters trying to convince him, basically pleading for Gauguin to come and stay with him. And finally um, Gauguin agrees and this is after funding for the transportation and expenses included in living here will be covered by uh, Theo. Right. By Van Gogh's Mm -hmm. brother. So once he doesn't have to pay he begrudgingly agrees to come. He only stayed for two months, which we'll get into at the end why exactly that happened. But it was a little bit tumultuous of a time. They did, made some interesting art while living together. This was the time period where they were very heavily influenced by Japanese prints. And mm-hmm. uh, Van Gogh owned a lot of prints and had kind of decorated the Yellow House really cute and hung a lot of these prints and other similar art for inspiration around the Yellow House in anticipation for Gauguin coming. He comes That's in. So sweet. I know, guys, <laughs> it gets worse. So he comes in late October and they begin their little two man artist colony. And it didn't take long for things to start to sour. Gauguin wrote to Bernard, who mm-hmm. Ginny had mentioned, and he said, In general, Vincent and I see eye to eye on very little, especially on painting. So their fundamental techniques on painting were quite different. Van Gogh focused a lot more on reality so he wanted to paint things that he saw and just paint them through his eye whereas Gauguin was kind of painting more from like memory and imagination Mm -hmm. so his are Mm -hmm. a little more abstract so kind of just a fundamental difference of opinion in how you should paint Mm -hmm. Um, and you can see that in these portraits that they painted of one another so The one by Van Gogh is of Gauguin from behind, and he's actually visibly painting. You know, the reality there is that when someone's painting, you can't really see their face. (laughs) And it was done on a piece of burlap that Gauguin found and brought for them to paint on. So it's really thick, interesting paint. And he looks into it. Like, you can't see the painting or anything he's doing. It's really just like a side profile. And then Van Gogh, or the painting that Gauguin did of Van Gogh is called The Painter of Sunflowers. It's believed to be an imaginary scene <laughs> that, yeah. that, you know, something yeah. mm-hmm. in theory like this would have happened, but it's not painted from life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
Van Gogh was actually pretty upset when he first saw the painting that Gauguin did of him. He said that he looked like a madman. <laughs> <laughs> he does kind of look... Uh, yeah. There's some, his face is rough. Yeah, so he took some offense to that. He softened to it later and kind of got over it, and they settled that. Let's move on to where the story gets good. Yeah. Oh, man. I know. They had very heated arguments yeah. these two over over painting a lot of really? the time yeah it was really about painting and mm, yeah. i cannot fathom getting to the point that these two got in their fights about their artistic vision yeah, yeah. Um, you think at some point you'd just be like okay like no you do you, do you. <laughs> fine this yeah. was like a war of egos i believe it really it did get there um passionate it got very passionate. <laughs> so in addition to the portraits that they did of one another, they did self-portraits as gifts for one another. I love these. So yeah, they're great. And Bernard, who Ginny mentioned, was also involved in this, but I'm just going to talk about Van Gogh and Gauguin's. So Van Gogh painted himself as like an austere monk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really looks It's like a really it. famous self-portrait yeah. of his. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks like an alien. He kind of does. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had my students draw this in one of the classes, and they, some oh, of the drawings were great. I remember seeing these. Yeah. <laughs> some of them were really, really good. Um, he's very gaunt looking. So, yeah, he's supposed to be a monk spreading the word of the new art, and that's what he's going for um, mm. in this painting. Whereas Gauguin's, <laughs> it's called self-portrait with portrait of Emile Bernard. So he paints Bernard into the photo. Subtitle, <laughs> Le Miserable. <laughs> so he's trying to portray himself as Jean, Val- Jean Valjean. Am I saying that right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Jean Valjean as a rebellious uh, protagonist. Shut up. Oh, yes. He is like, the worst. <laughs> yeah. God damn it. His yep. face, like he made himself look so like debonair. Like, totally. Oh, I'm, I have Jean Valjean. I'm yeah. the shit. <laughs> like this skeptical kind of like outlaw look with the big mustache. And it's just yeah. so ridiculous. Yeah. But winter approaches in Arles and they were kind of trapped in the house as it got colder so they had to spend more time around each other which is kind of believed to have built the tension up and their aesthetic debates were getting intense and it culminated in a fight where Gauguin began saying that he was going to leave and head back to Paris and Van Gogh got really distraught about this and this is where the story gets kind of interesting because the traditional story has been that Van Gogh got so upset that he cut off his own ear and then Gauguin fled in horror <laughs> and then Van Gogh, what, brought the ear to a prostitute at a brothel? Right. Yeah, and yeah so that was the painted. traditional story for a <laughs> while. Um, and now there are these German art historians who are saying that that is false and that Gauguin chopped off part of Van Gogh's ear with a sword. And then they had a pact of silence never to speak of yeah. it because Van Gogh didn't want to tarnish Gauguin's name and wanted to protect him. Because um, he loved his no friend. Idea. He loved his friend. Because the he, ear thing yeah, with Van Gogh, like anyone who doesn't know f- like anything about art history or Van Gogh, they know about the ear and it's like, oh, he was crazy. And he yeah. chopped it off. Yeah. And, and it's like, it you, might not Gauguin. have even been him. Yeah. And like, I could see Gauguin just like whipping a sword, whipping out a sword out in a fight. They were probably fighting about like color or some shit, and he <laughs> just pulled out a sword. And yep. yeah, these I, two. I can picture it so vividly. 
who knows, you know, right? Who's to, who's say? to say? I do, though. But I want to read the book because it's called Van Gogh's yeah. Ear, Paul Gauguin, and the Pact of Silence. So I want to read that, too. I want to see really if that's some compelling evidence. I think it's worth a read. Yeah. Um, if any of you guys at home have read it and want to write into oh, yeah, us about let it. Us know. Yeah, yeah, there's another book called The Yellow House, Van Gogh, Gauguin, and the Nine Turbulent Weeks and Arles. <laughs> um, <laughs> woo! Be a by great a movie. Yeah. Oh my god, it'd be Martin, such a good movie. Martin Gayford, art critic of Bloomberg Europe. So yeah, this is a really, really contested issue. What happened? I'm gonna just say that I believe that Gauguin had a sword and <laughs> locked Van Gogh's ear off. I just, cause I hate him. So I just yeah. assume <laughs> that's what happened. I'm going to, I'm going to put, put it out there that we are all taking a very biased stance. Yeah. On this. this is extremely biased. We're biased. You know yeah. what? It's our podcast and this is our opinion. So, uh, I stand by it. <laughs> And that was on Christmas Eve. Uh, oh, the right. day before. The oh. day December 23rd. day before Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. Eve. Oh, wow. What Christmas a, like, Eve. Eve. Oh. Um, be nice to your friends. And if you have a friend who's an asshole, don't be friends with them anymore. Yeah, get out of there before they chop, chop your, your ear off. <laughs> and make everyone think you're crazy. Yeah, get out. <laughs> get Cautionary out. tale. Just don't get to that point, okay? <laughs> <laughs> like, or just don't hang out with toxic assholes like Gauguin. Don't do it. You know, yeah. the thing that makes me so sad about this is because we all have this soft spot for Van Gogh. And I'm sure he wasn't a saint, but oh, no. he was good. He was a he was good. I think he was good. <laughs> I think he was I think good. I think he was generally good. I think he was good. And just from the letters alone, Van Gogh was so, so excited to have Gauguin come yeah. live with him in the Yellow House. And the fact that it went so badly and he ended up losing his ear breaks my heart dude like it really does and he was never the same after that like his health like mental and otherwise yeah. like really took a huge dip after this incident does anyone know i, I think that they they had some more correspondence yeah after they did th- that was not the end of their okay. friendship so yeah it wasn't the end of their friendship one of van gogh's final recorded words to gogan were you are quiet. I will be too. Dang. Oh, okay. Um, I think that's a good place for us to take a quick break. As podcasters, we understand the importance of quality sound. Studio headphones are stylish and sleek with proper sound quality. If you like on-ear headphones, you know, the ones that make you look like a DJ, you'll love the Regent. With 24-plus hours of active battery life and 20 days of standby life, the Regent is the perfect companion to you at home or on the go. If you're looking for headphones to meet your more athletic lifestyle, check out the Tray with 9-plus hours of active battery life and 10 days of standby life. Made out of sweat-proof material and has custom wing tips that stay comfortably in your ear no matter how you're moving. These are only two of the many styles that Studio has to offer, so go to studio.com to check them out. Studio emphasizes the modern Scandinavian design while also providing a product that matches the quality of even the highest rated headphones on the market for a fraction of the cost. And they provide free worldwide shipping. Use the discount code BABES to get 15% off any purchase. Go check them out. They're beautiful. Okay, we are back talking about Paul Gauguin. When we last left our anti-hero, 
Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, he was hanging out with our boy Van Gogh, mm-hmm. and things likely chopped a zero. Yeah, basically. Probably. We're just gonna say that's probably what <laughs> happened. <laughs> As we discussed, Van Gogh's health steady steadily declined, and then he infamously committed suicide. Which I've there is some back and forth on that as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. He shot himself in the stomach. Yeah, why well, would you do that? That's that's intense. Uh, oh. I read something that was very sad, which was that when um, Van Gogh was in the hospital, covering from having lopped his ear off slash having it lopped off he called for Gauguin to come see him. He wanted to see him. Why? And Gauguin wouldn't come. Ugh. Why did he care so much about Gauguin? Because I, I, really I think he was know. in love with him. Like I, Why, I, though? Gauguin was a piece of trash. Why does <laughs> anyone fall in love with someone who's horrible? <laughs> I mean, true. let's just get that, you know, out there. It happens all the time. So I... Ugh. Um, so the, the next um, element of our story is, honestly, I mean... You know, I, I love my boy Van Gogh and, and I hate that Gauguin was mean to him. But this this, <laughs> this next element, I Ugh. think, is just the just the, the cream of the shitty crop. Yeah. He just goes off the deep <laughs> end into Cute. complete shit headering. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> he just yeah. goes like full force and complete being an asshole. fuckery. Just embraces <laughs> it entirely. Uh, we are talking about Gauguin's uh, trip to Tahiti. So in 1891, he sets sail for Tahiti. And while he is there, he discovers what he claims to be this beautiful, romantic, erotic garden garden of Eden, basically. Yeah. Yeah, Primitive paradise. Yeah. Just everything that's wrong with the civilized world doesn't exist there. Mm -hmm. It's just a perfect place. Of sexual debauchery, I right? Don't know. <laughs> right. This is it's like th- at the heart of primitivism. Mm-hmm. This, yeah. And Gauguin lives it to the fullest. Abandons <laughs> European culture and goes Ab- to live with the primitives. Abandons European family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like, abandons. Yeah, abandons. <laughs> yep. And yeah, and then goes. To live with the primitives, a word we've talked about before that's crazy problematic, yes. and lives it up and and is is doing doing life you know the right way, the way everyone should be doing it according to Gauguin. <laughs> right, um, <laughs> everyone should abandon their <sighs> their lives and um, go marry young girls and yeah. Tahiti. Uh, <laughs> let's marry some thirteen-year-olds. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, what happens is he goes down there. He gets all this artistic inspiration. A lot of the work you've seen by him mm. was from his trip to Tahiti. That's mm. some of his most famous paintings. He also, as a result of his trip, he wrote uh, the book Noah Noah, which is his account of his experience in Tahiti. And he also sleeps with a lot of Tahitian women, mm. many of them 13, 14 yep. years old. He, yep. m- he married three of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Still rape. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just because you marry them, that doesn't like. Did he have three, three of them at the same time? I think there was some overlap. Okay, because he left for a while. Right, right, right. And then comes back later. So mm. yeah, hopefully the first one got away by then. Ah. Yeah. So, so these images that we see of 
naked Tahitian women, Tahitian women, you know, in nature or Tahitian women in a bed, like combing their hair sensually. Yeah. These are all supposedly they're supposed to represent his experience there. Obviously, like like we said, he had a tendency to fib. He really didn't like to paint. Fib. Fib. He didn't like to paint purely from reality. So like some of this is probably a mix of reality and fantasy, but it is representative of the life he was living in Tahiti. And that just like raises crazy amounts of questions yeah. about his work. Is it okay to like Gauguin's work? What do these paintings mean? I think is like yeah. the most important question. What do mm-hmm, these paintings definitely. mean? So, um, in researching for this episode, the first thing I did was I just Googled Gauguin problematic. <laughs> problematic. And like a ton of stuff came up. And I literally just picked off like the first three or four. I was yeah. like, these are good. Um, and yeah. read the headlines. So the first one I read was an article by Amelia Hill for The Guardian mm-hmm. uh, called Gauguin's Erotic Tahiti Idol Exposed as a Sham. Um, That's a good title. I know, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Gauguin, <laughs> Sham. Yeah, I like it. I go like sham. It. Go sham. <laughs> <laughs> so this article opens, the opening line of the article, Paul Gauguin, renowned for his paintings of exi- exotic idols and Polynesian beauties, was a sadist who battered his wife, exploited his friends, and lied to the world about the erotic Eden he claimed to have discovered on the South Sea island of Tahiti. I believe it. Mike, drop. <laughs> I love it. Just straight out the gate. It's just yep. like, oof. That is how you open an essay. I know, right? <laughs> yes. It's so good. I'm hooked. That's right? what they were teaching us in writing right? class. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> get them hooked. Strauss, you'd be so impressed. Wow. Yeah. Um, so this article goes on to talk about, it actually talks about a book that Jen's going to talk about a little later called uh, Paul Gauguin, An Erotic Life, written by Nancy Mole Matthews. Um, which is a fairly, I don't know what year it came out, but a fairly recent. I believe it was in 2002, no, 2001. Okay. Um, so somewhat recent biography of Gauguin. And this article dives into some of the biographical facts that are just often changed or, or just not addressed. Like we just ignore. Yeah. Like for one. So his wife, uh, I don't know if it's pronounced Matt or Maddie. Maddie? Maddie? Gad? I don't know. It's Dutch, right? (laughs) She was Dutch. Yeah, I have no idea. Danish. Um, But so his wife, in a lot of things that have been written on Gauguin, has been painted as like a shitty wife, as like mean and shrew. shrew. And according to a lot of letters that you can read, like written by his wife, she was not horrible, but actually pretty kind and clever. You know, it just... It kind of covers Gauguin's ass if his wife was, if the wife that he left was yeah. a bitch, you know? Furthermore, <sighs> like his wife was victimized by him through the entirety of their marriage. There's a written account by their son, Emil. Emil confesses that he had seen his father beat his mother. No doubt. Yeah. Um, so domestic abuse, not okay. <sighs> um, and then this article is basically bringing to light both these things that we about Gauguin's life that we have just kind of ignored and then also the fact that a lot of I this ideal situation he created was total fabrication yeah another quote 
The island and the realities of Gauguin's life there are virtually unrecognizable in his representations, carefully calculated to intrigue the French audience, said Na Nancy Mole Matthews, author of Paul Gauguin and Neurotic Life. So um, basically what happened is he goes to Tahiti the first time and he's there for two years, goes back to France in 1893 and he wants to impress everyone in France. So even though he's like <sighs> all like anti-civilization and ma yeah. ma, he wants to go back to France of and course. be like, cause he's a narcissist. <laughs> yeah. 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 Here's what people yeah. think about him. He wants to go back to France and be like, look at all this amazing artwork I made mm -hmm. in my mm -hmm. Tahitian paradise. And like kind of some solace it doesn't really work like not a lot of people give a shit they're yeah. just like whatever bro um and yeah you weirdo yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and he writes noah noah as i said which is his account of what happened so once again very fantasy romanticization and then in 1895, after two years of <laughs> it just like not working, people not really digging these Tahitian paintings, he goes back to Tahiti. I must return. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he goes back to Tahiti. Um, let's see. He refers. Oh God. He refers to his Tahitian hut as La Maison du Jurier, which means the house of orgasm. Oh, he is. Gross. That is That's so, so gross, gross, dude. That is so gross. That sounds like what some creepy college bro calls right? his like, you know, shitty yeah, like, like house with like probably yeah. because you are most likely a selfish lover <laughs> and never give anyone else an orgasm. <laughs> It really does were sound you, were you like. Were you talking about someone in particular? That seemed, <laughs> seemed very pointed. Shitty got like <laughs> upset. <laughs> Her face was upset <laughs> <laughs> whoa um, but yeah, exactly it's so <laughs> it's so frat boy gross Ew. like uh that makes me just feel like slimy like yeah, i just right? uh, and then and then the fact that he was sleeping with a lot of teenage girls young mm -hmm. teenage girls like yeah and we need to like address this now go gan certainly had syphilis oh yeah oh yeah okay. yeah certainly <laughs> certainly had syphilis there it was, it was um, quite advanced by that point i'm pretty uh, sure yeah according to the art historian that we just uh talked about um mole matthews uh she suggests in her book that yes Gauguin returned to paris in 1893 to um, not only uh, exhibit some of his paintings, try to sell some of his paintings, but he had also largely run out of money. Um, so he needed, he actually had to depend on a grant for a free passage back home. And he was having some serious health problems at the time, um, heart problems that Matthews suggests may have been the early signs of cardiovascular syphilis. So not only is he out there living in the house of orgasms, but he's giving like young girls so syphilis. Upsetting. Yeah, so he gave upsetting. he gave a lot of women so syphilis. So just you know, chew on that. Yeah. Oh God, damn it. Um, as I mentioned, he writ he wrote Noah Noah, uh, which was published in 1901, which totally romanticizes his experience. Was probably written to help sell paintings. Um, and I have this quote from it, which is really interesting. Because this is something that I, I feel like, I mean, if I was back in grad school, this would make such a killer thesis topic. 
Paul Gauguin was often considered a feminist. Oh, Jesus. Because he painted women? No, no. There's reason like behind it. <laughs> um, there's reason behind it, but it's like, I see why. And I'll read this quote and, and you'll kind of see what where this comes from. But he just obviously got feminism so, so, so wrong. Like, um, So this quote is from his book. Thanks to our cinctures and corsets, we have succeeded in making an artificial being out of woman. She is an anomaly in nature herself, obedient to the laws of heredity, aids us in complicating and enervating her. We carefully keep her in a state of nervous weakness and muscular inferiority. And in guarding her from fatigue, we take away from her possibilities of development. Thus modeled on a bizarre ideal of slenderness to which, strangely enough, we continue to adhere. Our women have nothing in common with us, and this perhaps may not be without grave moral and social disadvantages. So he's talking about women in mm. in contemporary civilized society. Yeah. Um, and he, I mean, that is, a, that yeah. is a feminist stance. Like, yeah. that yeah. little bit is. But it's like, how can you... <laughs> get it, it so much. wrong right yeah. <laughs> like maybe that cancels out one percent of his yeah. shitty things yeah. he's done yeah. to women you know what's like. not a feminist stance is marrying a 13 year old <laughs> who apparently he met her and married her in the same afternoon known as teha amana that was her name um who was pregnant by him by the end of the same summer 13 years old yeah, so he's gross Ugh. and like, and I that's just like condescending. Like, I'm exactly, so, I'm so enlightened Ugh. and I'm an it's enlightened like feminist. And no, be, yeah, that's like every guy that you meet that says he's a feminist and tries to <laughs> use it as a way to get into your pants. Like, right. like no, we've bro. seen I'm it. I'm so glad before. I've not come across one of those men. Oh, I've come across a do. lot of those men, and it's gross well, like harvey weinstein being like i'm with her oh jeez, <laughs> marching in the women's march it's like no you're a piece of shit right you are not a feminist uh, so. nope god not enough <laughs> definitely not enough <sighs> um but yeah but at that time that's a fairly radical stance you know to yeah. have mm, yeah so he returned to tahiti this is another quote from that article. He returned expecting the erotic idol that was only ever a figment of his imagination. <laughs> of course, he didn't find it, and the disappointment was profound. He died a twisted and bitter man, having alienated everyone, both at home and in T Tahiti. Damn. It's a sad story of a man who believed his own fiction. Twisted? <laughs> he was a twisted man. Fantastic. Oh, I love that. Uh, Fantastic. Um, so that article's dope. Um, yeah. It's, it's super short. It'll be up on our sources, but hats off. To you, Amelia Amelia Hill. Your I, words were strong, Amelia. Yeah. yeah, definitely enjoy that take. Now, for something different, um, one of the other mm. articles that popped up right away was also from The Guardian, and it was called Paul Gauguin, Guilty as Charged, oh, yeah. by Adrian Searle. Now, I am making assumptions about gender identification. I don't know for a fact <laughs> that Adrian is a male and that Amelia is a female. So I'm putting that out there. Okay. But I have a feeling. <laughs> what is this person's name? Adrian what now? Adrian Searle. 
Adrian C. Oh, I think it's a, it's a dude. It's a dude. Oh, right. here we go. Well, it's a dude. It is. Okay. Now we know. Now we know. All right. So. Now oh. let it rip. All right. Um, <laughs> so this one opens. Colonialist, chauvinist, exploiter. Mm. Gauguin may have been all these things and more, but as the Tate's brilliant new show reveals, his faults are what make him great oh no <laughs> are you fucking kidding me <laughs> like are you kidding his me faults oh, no. like they're just <laughs> faults you know <laughs> like he was a flawed man yeah, like, like, <laughs> he liked <laughs> teenage girls <laughs> it was a flaw <laughs> colonialist God. chauvinist exploiter like faults like are you kidding me oh man i was just like so <laughs> Just straight out the gate. I was uh. like, oh, this is ridiculous. And even just the <laughs> title, Paul Gauguin, Guilty as Charged. Oh, Lord. Like, that's uh, just a gross title. Make it- <gasps> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You. yeah, it's gross. I I'm, I, I, hope you hear this, Adrian, because it's gross. Yeah, Adrian, you messed up. <laughs> I don't know what you were thinking, bro. Like, most of the stuff was him bringing to light these bad things about Gauguin, but it was ultimately just praising Gauguin's work. Mm-hmm. And it was like... So you're saying this, this, and this, but his work is still great, and it's kind of great because he was terrible. And I, it's just like mm-hmm. it was not done in a way that actually picked apart what all these bad behaviors yeah. like meant. Like you can't separate the man from his work; like yeah. they are interrelated, you know. And it just kind of was like, yeah, I'm gonna be honest. Like Gauguin did all these things, but. How about uh, that sermon painting, you know? <laughs> like, Stop. Um, and then another article uh, at for The Telegraph called Is It Wrong to Admire Paul Gauguin's Art by Alastair Smart. Hmm. Um, here's a quote from it. <laughs> the trouble with Astetes. Is it Astetes? Astetes. Yeah, Astetes. Ass teats. Ass teats. I think that's right. I think that's the one. Let's go with ass teats. <laughs> I feel good about that. Oh my god. <laughs> love I love that word on paper. I think it's spelled really pretty, but yeah. it, it's hard to pronounce. Oh, ass teats. Yeah, I don't know. Um the trouble with ass ass teats. <laughs> Twelve years old it. apparently. Oh my god. Okay. Serious. The face. trouble we ask have though is that in Gauguin's case just like Van Gogh's his life was so dramatic it's hard not to read the biography onto the art indeed much of the power of his most famous works the Polynesian babe paintings (laughs) (laughs) what derives from our uncomfortable knowledge of the content context they were created in although rendered innocent and unerotic these brown-skinned nudes were more than just Gauguin's models. They were his sex slaves, too. Whoa. And, like, first off, who who deemed these paintings innocent and unerotic? This I, who, I don't think you can escape the eroticism. I don't think world. you can either. Who thought these were innocent? That whole quote just was dripping. <laughs> A damned fool. <laughs> <laughs> That whole quote was just dripping with like salacious, like ooh, ha, ha, ha ooh, like it, I just that a get man this. Name Alistair said, "Babes is weird." Yeah, to me. Mm-hmm. yeah, like 
Come yeah, on. Exactly. And once again, uh, these Polynesian babes were like 13 and 14 years yeah, old. Yeah, they were babes in the sense that they, <laughs> they were, were children. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, this brings me to, I think, like the biggest question. And we, we kind of opened the episode with it a little bit. Is it wrong to admire Paul Gauguin's art? I personally certainly think it's wrong to ad- admire the quote unquote Polynesian babe paintings. Mm. I like have some serious problems with those. <sighs> there are some of his work that I can kind of separate a little bit, but like the context of those paintings is so important. It is what they well, are, you know, like, let's, let's uh just play a little game here and think <laughs> about what would happen if those were 13 year old white girls. Right? Whoop. Dang. Natalie right? just came in with the bombshell. It's like, true. No yeah, one would want to hang true. that in a museum and no. look at it. They would consider it repulsive. Exactly. Like, it is such an example of colonialism and just objectifying these women. Yeah. yeah. Eroticizing, like, objectifying the so-called primitive yeah. brown woman, this sort of uh, untainted the sense that they are living in like a, a land before time you know yeah well and it's also just i mean the sexualization of the black woman mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. like historically yeah especially in this time frame like black women were thought to be inherently sexual while mm-hmm. white women were supposed to be pure you know yeah. it's so gross but like that's why these paintings are okay yeah you yeah know? so a lot of this idea of can we admire Gauguin? There's some argument that, well, he took such great care to delineate the Polynesian features of these women and and that that somehow it gives him some level of uh, credibility or respectability for accurately portraying these women. But at the same time, they're not women. They're girls yeah you know so i mean i have trouble because i actually kind of like this painting from 1891 a woman with a flower Mm -hmm. it's quite beautiful the woman is wearing what look like western a western type of dress um holding a flower kind of interesting because the background is composed largely of yellow and red supposedly Gauguin hated yellow so hmm, interesting and <laughs> Van Gogh hated red and the two are together so I, I just want to point that out <laughs> uh, just because but this is so it's like a, a tiny little speck of like okay sure he portrayed them accurately and then what <laughs> yeah no this painting like she's not sexualized well, like right like it's it's someone sitting for a portrait, which is right. not as problematic. I mean, it's still problematic Surely. for like all the colonial reasons, yeah. you know. Right. <gasps> and then take, for instance, Spirit of the Dead Watching from 1892. It is so gross to look at. I really hate this painting. Some have compared her to the Tahitian Olympia. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. This painting. This it painting. makes me feel gross it's the worst um i don't understand how someone can look at this painting and know that this is his 13 year old lover and she's on a bed nude 
and mm. you're seeing her from behind and she's kind of looking back and he paints this sort of coy expression on her face and I, I doubt, doubt exactly and so these paintings are gross yeah it, like this painting this one I was shown to me in undergrad which same sparked my hatred for this man because mm-hmm. I had a bad ass professor mm-hmm. she was just like not having any of this bullshit <laughs> and it's one of those things that these paintings like yeah this one is super just unsettling the longer I look at it it's the grosser I feel I can't look at it anymore. yeah yeah and and a lot of those paintings that involve these Tahitian women nude Tahitian girls nude for you know I had seen them before but I never stopped to really think about what they meant, you know, when I was younger, like when I was in high school and stuff, I never stopped to really think about what was going on in these paintings or, you know, who painted them. And so this undergrad class was the first time I actually took the time to stop and look and and realize how fucked up it was. Um, And a little exercise that our professor pulled out, which I think is brilliant. We were talking about Gauguin and she pulled up a picture of, which I have one here of a tote bag that is sold yep. with a Gauguin painting on it. And it's it's a painting of nude Tahitian women. Mm-hmm. And this one is uh, Gauguin's Day of the God tote that is sold at the Chicago Art Institute Museum store. Um, and I love the Chicago Art Institute. Yeah. It's a great museum. And it's a tote bag. And like... What the fuck does it mean to be carrying this image around on your shoulder? Uh, yeah. Like, think about that. Mm. It, it's a it's an image of a white man's privilege and exploitation. And yep. and you're just like carrying around your Kindle in it, you know? Yeah. That it's perverse. Yeah. I mean, that's the up. only word it's for it. It's a It's a perverse action that... It's like a double objectification, mm-hmm. you know. It's like, well, we added capitalism into the mix, <laughs> right? So we yep. did. Of course, like, of course, we did. This is probably like a forty-five dollar tote bag. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just imagine like a fifty-year-old woman named Karen <laughs> yeah. with this bag, you know, and she's got some like, it's like, oh my, tri- sassy colored reading glasses, yeah. and she just thinks it's all that. Karen, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> she's like, yeah, my trip to Chicago was yeah. wonderful. Like, we had such a nice time. Uh, <laughs> God damn it, Karen. (laughs) (laughs) It's something. Yeah, it is something. And um, that is where we get really murky with Gauguin. Because it it shouldn't be murky. It should never be murky. It should just be gross. But there are a lot of art historians that really argue, really, really argue that Gauguin is this amazing painter and that he contributed so much and that he ushered in like symbolism and fauvism and all these things and that he was so revolutionary and i really don't see it yeah no like you know? i mean like some some of his paintings are fine um but i i guess i don't think he did anything that revolutionary that other people weren't doing. Like I would take Van Gogh any day, Mm -hmm. any day. And then you add in all this other bullshit. And then you add in the, not only the man, but the images themselves and what they are of. And it's like, what, like what What is there to argue? Yeah. What are you admiring so much? And why are you so bent on not like letting go? That's the thing. There's, there are multiple art historians that, they will let go. They will not let go of Gauguin, yeah. and I don't get it. I don't get it. On that note, I want to 
talk a little bit about Nancy Mal Matthews' book, Paul Gauguin, An Erotic Life. Uh, we touched a little bit about it earlier. I feel that Matthews is completely wildin' <laughs> when they ask her in an interview with Salon, they're asking her essentially, how do you reconcile the these uh, heinous sexual acts that Gauguin most certainly engaged in? They say the the interviewer asks doesn't really ask her. He just says, "You don't make a lot of moral judgment on Gauguin in your book." Her response, this is what I would say about pedophilia or abuses in his sexual relationships. I think in practice it is abominable and should never be perpetuated against unwilling or too innocent people, children or whatever. Whatever. (laughs) Okay. I think what I admire Gauguin for, I think I can say this, is when he put these odd and unpredictable twists of sexuality into his art that actually ended up enhancing it. So even people who would say, absolutely not, we can't have the sexualization of children, or we can't have any glorification of violence within a marriage or a sexual relationship, the way Gauguin used those themes in his art ended up being quite compelling. What are you talking about? Are you serious? Yeah, I mean, is. it is. It's like going back to the Woody Allen thing, like the fact that he made movies about like old creepy dudes, like being in love with people they shouldn't be in love with, and then he married his daughter because yep. he's gross. Yeah. Like, oh and my then, god! And then people are like, "It's okay because his art's so good." It's like, no, it's no. Not. <laughs> and Matthews, I'm sure, is an art historian of caliber, but I think she lost her damn mind. <laughs> <laughs> The interviewer goes on to ask her um, of an example of sexual violence in his work, and she points out a series of eaves that he did in the late 1880s. So this is in his um, Breton time uh, where he's uh, in Brittany uh, admiring these kind of like untouched peasant women that they're, Mm -hmm. you know, they're so just rural and and simple (laughs) and he paints a series of of eaves and he calls them that and um one of the eaves from 1889 is shown covering her ears and her mouth is open as if she is crying out and behind her is the the snake and this is a very different sort of eve with the snake yeah when we see eve with the snake in traditional biblical paintings she's very like oh and seems to be very enchanted by the snake in this painting the snake is preying on her it's a predatory painting it's kind of creepy she doesn't want to listen to the snake she's looks distressed them she also brings in another example paul gauguin did a number of wood sculptures and carvings there's a quite famous one the title is commonly translated to be in love and you will be happy but matthews claims it actually says be a lover and um, it therefore gives it a very forceful and perverse kind of undertone. Um, the woodcut itself is just bizarre. It's hard to tell what's really going on here, but there's a a woman on the left side of the panel is shown being grasped by her arm by a, a man who is supposed to be um, Gauguin himself, actually. 
And uh, we see another Eve with her hands over her ears. There's this wolf or dog. I can't tell what it is. Um, <laughs> it's a very bizarre, it's a very bizarre carving. Of, I don't get this like happy sense. Like no, be in love and you will be happy. About this. There's literally, it, it is menacing. It is terrifying. What is this face with the thumb? Yeah. And like <laughs> the thumb is like in the mouth. mouth yeah. And it just. Again. Probably. Just being a weirdo. It's very strange and I hate it. Um, <laughs> it is very strange. So she discusses Gauguin's favorite themes or um, one of his favorite themes is this idea of a young woman being introduced to sexuality. Going back to 1891. Of course it is. Right. Yeah. Going uh. back to the painting, The Loss of Virginity, mm -hmm. um, in parentheses, The Awakening of Spring. So we discussed this. There's a naked woman. She's in a field. There's this fox on her shoulder that she is holding. There is a crushed flower mm -hmm. in her right hand. This kind of symbolism of deflowerment. There's nothing beautiful about this. Um, the This whole notion that this introduction to sexuality, it, it really has this connotation that she becomes isolated um, because of this introduction in the background very far away there seems to be a group of people and she's in the foreground completely nude in just a field like by herself I don't know what happened here it's just creepy yeah it doesn't look like the type of sitting setting you'd want to I don't know have sex for the first time no, yeah it's like people on a path in the distance yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's very strange and to go on the the salon the interviewer from salon just comes straight out and asks don't you think it's a contradiction to appreciate Gauguin's perverse message in his art but reject it in his life mm. Matthews responds it seems like there should be a contradiction but I feel comfortable with it I feel it's okay to interject unpredictable ideas into a work of art as long as you're not perpetuating those acts against living human beings. Is that what you're thinking is a contradiction? When I think of Gauguin's <laughs> work, I think of the very offensive idea that seems to be a part of them. Take Spirit of the Dead watching. That is the most thorny of all his paintings. It's kind of like the loss of virginity. It seems to be a continuation of that theme. Young girl, very androgynous looking, virtually the same body type, thick ankles, short legs, but nevertheless youthful and attractive. In this case, there's fear in the painting, more like the Eve, where the fact of her nudity and suggestion of sexuality makes her afraid. She's looking out at whoever is observing her with fear. Good job at not answering the, the question, question at yeah. all. Yeah, that is exactly what I was thinking. I was like, okay, she but should, she could be a politician with that shit, right? That was some Trump voodoo right yeah. there. <laughs> um, so this is so disappointing to me. This n idea of a female art historian going through the trouble of writing a whole book on this guy and just defending him. Yeah, and especially because she's doing it from a perspective that I think she is bringing to light stuff that needs to be brought to light because this is the same book that brings up how he how he beat his wife and stuff so it's right like she's bringing and, and it, she also talks a lot about how how this was a romanticized ideal you know that he had created and, and so she's like digging deep into the reality of the situation but still won't take it there like she won't take a stance on it because people just like aren't willing to hold 
white male artists accountable like it's just like oh but the art's separate and yeah it's, that's not it like and especially in this case because it's not separate it's right? depicting the problematic exactly. things like exactly you know i'm just very bothered with this idea that because Gauguin had this reprehensible tendency to have sex with 13 year olds that that somehow uh, contributes a sort of compellingness uh, to his work. That's who, who says that? Yeah, right. Like if if a known pedophile started painting paintings like that today, like but they were just really beautiful, like they were just like the technique was really interesting. Would that be okay? Like God, no, no. Well, like that would no. not be okay. Mm. And that's what this is just so crazy to me, and I just can't understand it, and I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to respond to our art historians who not only either choose to ignore it completely which is usually the case or kind of talk about it but they're like well you know he did that but like in this case knowing a hundred percent what he was doing writing it in a book and then (laughs) saying that it enhances the art yeah that is crazy talk yeah she lost her damn mind and once again we're not talking about him just kind of being like a shitty dude like we're talking about the victimization of young girls it almost feels like she said it and then it's like you just can't really go back from saying that so she just has to lean in exactly you can't you can't act like that's okay yeah she had to at some point realize this is not okay no i mean and she did you know but she she just maybe feels like she can't i (laughs) no, i mean she does um sort of end this interview with a little bit a sort of like well no i mean he was a really bad guy (laughs) um the the quote here um she says this man was the worst bully the most ungrateful husband it was the unrelenting criticism of his wife that began to turn my stomach. This is a man you never want to be involved with. He could really do some damage to you. Oh, <laughs> so you read the letters to his wife and that's what turned your stomach. Right. It's just, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And I mean, that is a thing. Like, yeah, let's, let's talk about his wife. Cause she was probably a way better person than Which you. Which yeah. one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, oh. but yeah, exactly. Like, but that, I mean, that's a super important point, too, like that she's ready to defend Gauguin's European, European wife. wife. But <laughs> jinx. <laughs> you owe me a soda. Feminist jinx. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yet she she will stand back and allow uh, pedophilia yeah. of young colored mm-hmm. girls. That's that's fine. I, I want an explanation and I want you to answer that question. That yeah, you were sure, asked in this interview. That interviewer, that inter- whoever interviewed her was yeah. like, yeah, getting yeah. It the good content. I guess yeah, so, but you know what? Answers. Whoever it was, whoever it was, did not push, and I would have pushed. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm pushing. Maybe you should write her a letter. Like I might yeah. write her a letter. Try to get a hold of her. Start, Have it out in person. Start some art history beef. Oh yeah, let's you know do it. I love beef. <laughs> oh man, we could we could totally do a like live debate. Oh my god, that oh, would be dope. I'm really down for that. That would you. actually be really cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm heated right now. <laughs> 
I'm upset. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm always upset when when ta- thinking about this guy. Like he, yeah. it, it, and it's been a gr- like I said, it's been a gradual thing. Like over the more and more I learn, the more and more mm-hmm. the fire in my belly grows. You yeah. know, truly. Um, and like y- there was definitely a time in my life where I was like, oh yeah, go again. Like yeah, this stuff's all right. Oh, you know, man. like I didn't really think anything of it, and now uh, it's just like you know fire of a yeah. thousand suns the yeah. first gogan painting i ever saw was yellow christ <laughs> and i really hated that painting <laughs> just from the get-go i was like why does he have crab claws like what is <laughs> going on here yellow christ <sighs> jesus christ you know like yeah. i just didn't know what to just think what about it and that yeah. was really my introduction to gogan um was why is everyone make such a big deal out of this guy? I mean, uh, yeah. Someone explain it to me because I don't get it. And I plan to read this book actually. I will be reading Paul Gauguin and Erotic <laughs> Life because when yeah, I do I have read it too. when I do have my debate with Nancy <laughs> Mal Matthews, I want to come prepared with a lot of the material. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to read your book, Nancy, <laughs> and uh, then we're going to talk. Because I'm really having are problems. Are you going to talk or are you going to have it out in an alleyway? Because like <laughs> it depends on how the talk goes. <laughs> so oh, you guys man. will have an intellectual battle. I'm yeah. good at those. You are. You, you know, are. I'm I'm fine with that. You got that. You got the the passion. Like, mm-hmm. do you want to bring up this last upsetting oh. little fun fact? Oh God. <laughs> yeah. So um, research is fun and takes you all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> And um, while I was doing my research, I happened to come across this just totally outrageous website. You guys can't see this, but um, we're looking at it right now. Oh, my God. Here's the website (laughs) that advertises Paul Gauguin cruises. You can take a Paul Gauguin cruise on the Gauguin and you go to Tahiti. So you... You on the Gauguin, you can um, you'll have all these complimentary amenities, <laughs> a gathering <laughs> featuring a Polynesian blessing ceremony performed by Le Gauguins, uh, our onboard troop of hostess slash entertainers. I don't oh. like that. I don't like that uh-uh. at all. Um, uh-uh. No, you'll get an exclusive pillow. <laughs> <laughs> Does it fucking say Gauguin on it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Probably. God, it's just it. like it's it's his self portrait. Like lie the, with me tonight. Um, <laughs> no, it's the picture of him kissing that woman on the face when she oh, she so clearly doesn't my want it. God, we'll post that picture. So this entire yeah. this entire thing here is it's a it's a honeymoon cruise. It's a wedding cruise. You can actually get uh, married. A Polynesian wedding ceremony. Um, so that's what they're Please selling do you it, guys. on here. Don't do they do let it. you marry children? I, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm not we touching should, that. We should get on it and burn that motherfucker down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or just go and just be super critical. Yeah. Just be like, we're like, this bullshit. A strongly <laughs> worded letter. Before Excuse <laughs> me. You know not what you do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the picture, like the the photo on the website is just in and of itself just annoying it's yeah. this older white couple with the flower wreath on their head mm-hmm. 
um just like oh like what they are the world's whitest couple they're too. So, yeah mm-hmm. and then surrounded by like these polynesian women this girl is like it ain't gonna last <laughs> um she's probably hexing them yeah what the spirit the spirit of the dead are watching god i could not believe this when i found I'm this i'm glad you looked into that because i had briefly seen in my research like gogan cruise and i just didn't look at it further like i know there's also a gogan wine oh yeah oh there gross. is yeah it's but not they, good but they yeah. s- they spelled it different they don't spell gogan r- uh, correctly I saw. Are they trying to be Gogan? Yeah, because there's a painting. There's the the painting. I saw that. Don't use this name for any branding. Just do yourself a favor. If you're trying to come up with a name for a new thing, don't fucking use Gogan. Yeah, why? There's so many artists' names you could maybe choose from. Can we briefly? um, You guys brought it up, but briefly talk about this picture of him (laughs) kissing a Tahitian woman. Oh, look where his hand is on the other chair. Oh my god! And look at her face. This is photo evidence, man. Like yeah. photo evidence of this yep. gross man. I hate. Oh my god. Yeah, Her face. Isn't that gross? She's Aww. like, please get him off She's of just me, please. So over it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. What is this photo? What's the context here? Is he? Um, it's from a hyperallergic article where they have uh, archival photos of his time in Tahiti. Okay. Um, it's linked in our sources, and there there are some other photos in there too. I have seen some photos of him with various of his Tahitian wives mm-hmm. slash girlfriends. They all look very uncomfortable all the time. We'll link in our sources the amazing comic that hyperallergic posted the yes. syphilitic life of <laughs> Paul Cogan. It's so good. It's so good. Just a nice breakdown of his stupid life. <laughs> stupid life. Oh man. Good lord. He just looks like a predator in every one of these photos. He just Because uh, he is a predator. I he, know. He looks like just what he is. Like God. Okay. Fuck Gogan. Mm-hmm. Fuck Gogan, dude. Fuck Gogan. Um should we do a listener mail? Yeah. Sure. All right. This one starts, hola, babes. I just want to say the art history babes make my day go so fast. I'm a jewelry designer based in Brooklyn and days in the studio are long. I have a bachelor's degree in fine arts and I've been meaning to expand my art history knowledge for a long time. I'm so glad I found your podcast. Could you send me an address? I want to send you a thank you gift. P.S. I recently listened to your Paint It Black episode and thought you might be interested in this article about Anish Kapoor's bizarre art feud. And this is from Ale. 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 Thank you. That well, is we'll so send kind. You our address, uh, certainly. Yeah. But did you guys read about this at all? About the Anish Kapoor? I did not. Because he was the one, the one who like bought Vanta Black. He bought the rights to <gasps> oh, Vanta Black. Right. Yeah. Cool. Right. So like, there's been this this whole pushback of like people trying to like i think it was the pinkest pink maybe it was uh they created i'm pretty sure it was the pinkest pink mm-hmm. um that was created and then it is available to everyone but anish kapoor nice <laughs> that's really funny that's yeah. really funny yeah um, yeah like what a like douchey thing big right? baby like yeah. okay you're just gonna buy it and then no one else can use it yeah i didn't realize he was hoarding it after he bought it oh yeah it was just for him he's so he's the designer of uh cloud gate in chicago the bean mm. oh. yeah and his whole thing he wanted to paint the bean black which i think he did do actually really I, I haven't seen the black bean i know he was at least talking about it i don't know if he did it um and i love cloud gate like it's it's cool but yeah, he he bought exclusively the rights, and so it's it's turned into this whole like art world trying to keep colors from Anish Kapoor. 
hold up. Did he paint the bean black? Did you find it? I think I did. I I don't know. Is this real? What? That, uh, that looks sick. That is so black. That looks sick. That looks really cool. Well, <gasps> I'm glad he painted the bean black, but <laughs> oh. I want him to mm. stop being a stingy bastard and right? let other people use it. Did yeah. he need all the Vanta black for the bean? Like, was <laughs> that's it. All, yeah, that's he just used all of it. He's like, that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to paint my bean black. <laughs> <laughs> just let me paint my bean. <laughs> Apparently he did this in uh, 2016. Dope. Um, anyway. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your wonderful letter and we'll definitely send you our information we love getting gifts from listeners we, we really do we really, really do i love it if you have thoughts on anything from this episode or if you just want to like rant about gogan you can send that our Please. way we'd love to read it you can email us at arthistorybabes at gmail.com you can find us on every form of social media that is out there. We're on everything. You can also head over to our Patreon for extra episodes. Donate to our Patreon, patreon.com slash arthistorybabes. Help keep the, the art history babes moving and shaking. Grooving. Doing it. Doing it. We appreciate you all so much. Thank you for listening to this very special episode. (laughs) (laughs) We hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed recording it. It was cathartic. It was cathartic. I feel good. I feel like I can just wipe my hands of this man Mm -hmm. and walk Mm -hmm. away now. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Bye-bye, Gogan. Bye-bye. Bye. From It happened. <laughs> hey, figure it out. I said, hey, yeah, yeah, hey, yeah, hey, yeah. I said, hey, what's going on? That was beautiful. The Art History Babes podcast is made possible by support from our lovely listeners via Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash arthistorybabes to help keep the art history babes going and for access to bonus content.